Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8 once more. Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, our text this evening is from the first four verses of what we read earlier. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 down to verse number 4. Therefore, there is... Therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. All the way down to verse number 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Our title for this evening's message is, What We Have in Christ, what we have in Christ. As we reach the end of a communion season, we have been blessed as the people of Almighty God. And it is right that we would, at the end of this, give thanks to Him. That is our theme here this evening, the end of our communion season, thanksgiving. To give thanks for what we have in Jesus Christ. Because we've been mightily blessed here this morning. Yes, it's wonderful to be with God's people. Yes, it's wonderful all the other things that we get at church. But the most important thing is we meet with our God. That's the greatest blessing. That is the greatest truth. And so often we can struggle in this area of thanksgiving. How often, dear believer, have you prayed for something in your Christian walk? And the Lord has graciously answered your prayer, delivered you. And yet, how often have we prayed and thanked the Lord in response? We rarely do so. I myself am just as guilty. So often we don't thank God for the things he has answered. The prayers he's brought to pass. The things that he has mercifully granted. And our father is a loving father. A gracious father. Who loves to give his children. In Jesus Christ. Good things. And the good things he laid before us this morning. The bread and the wine pointing towards Jesus Christ. And and this evening we're going to look at these good things. That Paul wrote under the inspiration of the spirit of almighty God. You see so often we forget what we have. We forget the blessings we have. It's easy to see the things we don't have. Oh look at so and so. He's got more than I have. Oh look at that person. I wish I had that. But what do you have? You have so many things. Even if you are here this evening and you're not a believer. You have so many things to be thankful for. The breath entering in your lungs. The heart beating in your chest. It's all because of God. Everything's because of God. Yes, even the hard things. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. We all have reasons to give thanks to God. But even more so. The believer, the believer who has had the privilege of meeting with the Lord at the table this morning. We have food 
and drink this morning. Greatest blessing. Unlike the food and drink that you had in the middle of the day. Unlike the food and drink that we'll have later at our fellowship. Praise God. Because while we may eat the food of this world. We will hunger later on. So much of the things of this world. They satisfy for a short period of time. But this life is but a vapor. That appeareth for a little time. And then vanisheth away. This food and drink. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. Everlasting. Incorruptible. Unchangeable. You may be hungry three hours later after your breakfast. But you will not hunger and thirst. You see this food gives eternal life. It is forever and ever. And though yes we have not tasted the fullness of that satisfaction. We've tasted but a little in this world. We will taste the fullness in the world to come. Friends. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do we forget what we have in Jesus Christ? I fear the longer we're Christians, I fear the longer I'm a Christian, we can forget what we have in Jesus Christ. And don't we need a reminder, a refresher, to remind ourselves of the things that we have in Jesus Christ? Because what were we before we were Christians? We were just like the world. We would follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. Following the imaginations of our own heart. And it's a cruel taskmaster. Do we look now for him? We look for him because he took pity upon us. He saw pity. Sinners without hope. And he took pity upon us. Why? Because he loved us. Why? He set his love upon us. The Christian has every reason to give thanks. And we long for eternity. When we will give thanks to almighty God. We long for heaven. And we will thank him. For what he has done. If you're a believer here this evening. That sounds wonderful. Because Christ is wonderful. We will never get exhausted. Of worshipping him. We will never run out of things. To praise him for. For he is infinite. But if you're an unbeliever. This evening. Heaven does not sound like heaven. It sounds incredibly boring. Because you don't love him. If we love him. We have much to be thankful for. And the first thing we're going to look at here this evening is number one. Forgiven in Christ. Forgiven in Christ. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The world, the flesh and the devil thinks what do I need forgiveness for? What have I done wrong? But in verse 1. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you trust Him alone 
Have you been brought into sweet union and communion with him? So that today you are seated in heavenly places. Yes, I know we'll be in heaven one day. But even today, Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, about that reality that currently we enjoy being seated in heavenly places. Do you have this? Or do you trust yourself? You see, I talk about forgiveness, but that only sounds like a wonderful blessing. A thing to give thanks to God for if you see your need for forgiveness. You see, if you're here this evening and you think, well, I don't need forgiveness for anything. What have I done wrong? That doesn't sound like something to give thanks for. Dear friends, it is a wonderful thing to be forgiven because of the magnitude of our sin. It is against an infinite God, and because it is against an infinite God, it is infinite malice. That only, just as what I've said here, is a reason for thanksgiving, a reason for praise. Because you see here this evening, yes, you deserve condemnation. I deserve condemnation. Everyone born in Adam deserves condemnation. However, however, you have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64 verse 6 talks about our greatest deeds. Isaiah 64 and verse number 6. Isaiah writes, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our righteousnesses are filthy rags before God. God is so pure, clean, holy. Radiant, wonderful, that our greatest deeds are filthy rags before Him. Our attempts to wash ourselves, to clean ourselves up, our greatest moment is sin before God. Yes, you may have done something wonderful for someone else from the point of view of man's standard. But we have to remember, we have been made, all of us have been made in the image of Almighty God. And because we've been made, we are responsible to our maker. He made us. He formed us. He formed us in the womb. He has maintained you this far. So how do I know that? You're here. You're alive. You're breathing. The Lord has shown mercy upon you that you are here this evening. But the question is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone? We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And what is this standard? Why do we deserve condemnation? Well, 
The, the law of God is summarized in different ways in the Bible. One way is God is love. Now that's a very popular way of summarizing the law of God. God is love. Everything's wonderful, so we love everything. That's a false understanding of that. The law of God is summarized another way by Jesus. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same law. It's just summarized. You can say a shortened version. Maybe you can expand it a little bit more. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. That is the same law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first four commandments. <coughs> I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment. The second commandment is against idolatry. The third commandment is against blasphemy. The fourth commandment speaks of the Sabbath day. Time with God. They speak of a relationship with God. And they're still summarized. Asians. Of the law. The second table of the law. Honor thy father and thy mother. The fifth commandment. All the way down to the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet. It's the same law. It's the same law. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. Jesus is teaching his followers, if you love me, you will keep the law of God. Now, none of us do this perfectly. But the more we're changed, the more we will be like Christ. And the more we are like Christ, the more we will obey the law of God. Not... So that we can earn salvation. That is an impossibility. But we follow the law of God. So we can give him thanks. We can follow the law of God. So we declare openly. We are a forgiven people. That is the right use of the law for the Christian. It's not to earn any forgiveness. It cannot. But because we have been forgiven. We declare and share that rea wonderful reality. Why are we under no condemnation? Because Jesus kept this law I speak of. Jesus loved his father with every fiber of his being. Every moment. He loved his neighbor as himself. Perfect example. Jesus kept the law of God. But even as believers in Jesus Christ, we still don't perfectly keep the law of God. 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verses 8, 9, and 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned. We make him. A liar. 
and his word is not in us. First John speaks largely about how do you know that you know him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, in the midst of this, John gives warnings. If you say you have not sinned, the truth is not in you. You see, he's trying to encourage the true believer in Jesus Christ. That they are now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But to those who do not see their sin. This is not the case. We have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. As we saw this morning, he took our punishment. Verse number 3 of our text, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Second half of verse number 3. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You see, condemnation. That condemnation, that wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And we saw this morning a payment was necessary. See, we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. But it's not deserved. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've done anything for. No condemnation is a status before Almighty God. That no condemnation is not within ourselves. If it was examining ourselves, condemnation. However, before the throne of God in and through Jesus Christ, no condemnation. Not guilty. No condemnation is the negative of justification. Justification by faith alone. Justification is a declaration before God in Jesus Christ. You're a sinner bought, declared just in and through Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's a declaration before God. It was one of the things that divided the reformers in the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation. Justification for the reformers was a declaration before God because we cannot earn it in any way, shape, or form. It is grace alone. It is faith alone. But for Rome, it was something within them. A status that they reached to. And it's never going to be enough. Our righteousness in ourselves will never be enough. Our inner goodness will never be enough. Dear friends, Christ did not die for good people. He died for criminals. He died for one of those criminals who hung on a Roman cross. And they were both criminals. They were both bad people. And one of them looked to Jesus. One thief on the cross, hanging, saw his need of Jesus Christ and looked. And said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, that thief on the cross, 
Yes, condemned by the Roman authorities, but under no condemnation before God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? He deserved condemnation. I deserve condemnation, as do you. But there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Our second point is free in Christ. Free in Christ. So we've been forgiven in Christ. Free in Christ. When I mention this blessing, perhaps we miss the blessing of it in the Western world. If you say freedom to most of the world, under oppressive and harsh and cruel regimes, freedom is a wonderful thing. Freedom is something that they will risk life and limb to have. And most, lots of the world are under oppressive regimes. Horrible dictatorships. That is what sin is. The devil and the flesh does not wish to leave go of the unbeliever. It doesn't wish to let go. It promises so much. The world promises so much, but delivers misery. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but they are also a free people. How are they free? That freedom is seen in the second half of verse 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. After the spirit. In verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let us look at that first part in the second part of verse 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul, writing to the Romans, is saying there's no condemnation is to a very specific people. It's not to everybody. It's to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those who have this freedom in Jesus Christ. Those who've experienced this liberty. No longer under slavery to sin. Verses Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. In verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Paul is very, very clear in Romans 6 and other parts. Whom you serve, that is what you are a servant of. So many people in the world think, well, I follow my own way. I do what I like. What my heart says I will do, I am free. You are not. A person who lives that way is not free. They are a slave of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is a cruel, oppressive taskmaster. It is an attitude of do what you want. 
a very wicked man who lived about a hundred years ago. He was known as one of the most notorious men. He was a, he was a professing Satanist. And his motto was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. A lot of people think that people who follow a lot of these strange views in the world are following the devil. They don't know sometimes that they are. But the philosophy is this. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. The devil said to Adam and Eve, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You'll decide. If it's good, you'll decide. You will be your own judge. That's the devil's religion. And that is something that is cruel. It's seen as a picture in the deliverance from Egypt. That bondage and slavery under Pharaoh. We see in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now Pharaoh refuses in verse 2. But then in verse 3, And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go. They're seeking for freedom. We pray thee three days. And why do they wish to go? And sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Freedom. They wanted freedom to go worship God. To have freedom. From the grips. And the totalitarian. Regime of the devil. And sin. And our own hearts. What does that mean? It's freedom to go worship God. Freedom to worship God. And that is. What James calls the perfect law of liberty. This is a wonderful thing, friends. And you will only see it as a wonderful thing if you love the law of God. The law, that perfect law of liberty. You have freedom to follow it, to worship God. See, before this, you did not love the law of God. You did not love the law of God. But then in Christ Jesus. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And verse number 97. Oh how I love thy law. It is my meditations. All the day. Verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's a wonderful freedom because you're no longer under that which does not satisfy. And you're brought to the one who made us. See, we've been made in the image of God. And only God can truly satisfy us. We will be restless until we find rest in him. As Augustine once said. Number three now, fulfilled in Christ. So another thing to give thanks for. 
that we're forgiven in Christ, we're free in Christ, and it has been fulfilled in Christ. Why do we have this freedom? We have this freedom because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law of God, the justice of God, cannot be set aside. God cannot say your transgressions, your law breaking. Let's just forget about that. That's not loving. If a judge did that, he'd be seen as corrupt. The justice of God is not set aside. You see, when we say God is love, that also means God is just. Because to do what is just is to do what is loving. The law of God is not set aside. It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, David falls into sin. Psalm 51 verse 4. And when David falls into sin, grievous sin, falls into adultery. And then he tries to cover it up. He sends the woman's husband to his death in battle. But after his eyes were opened to his sin and he repents, what does he say? Against thee, the only, have I sinned. Yes, we have wronged many people, all of us. But above all else, our sin is against God. And that standard will always remain. And that broken law will always remain over us if we have no one to, to pay for it. But it has been fulfilled in Christ. Think of it another way. If you ever looked at a speed limit, you're driving along the road and you see it's 30 miles an hour. When everybody's going 60 miles an hour, and you're, you're trying to drive 30 miles an hour, and the guy behind you is just beeping the horn. Not even the police keep it. Nobody enforces it. The law has effectively changed. God's standards will not change for you or for me. God cannot change. God is perfect. If God could change, would he be most wise? If God could change, would he be most loving? If God could change, then he would cease to be God. And that is an impossibility. But his perfect standard is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is another thing. Another freedom that we have. It's why there's no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus. Jesus kept the law of God. One place we can look at this. Is in Matthew chapter 3. And verse 15. Matthew chapter 3. And verse number 15. How he kept the law of of God. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Now, Jesus comes to be baptized. And what is baptism a picture of? 
a washing away of the sins of the flesh. Now Jesus is not a sinner, is he? Why does he need to be baptized? It says here in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. And, and Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You see, John was very reluctant to baptism. John was saying in verse 14, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? You're coming to me? I need to be baptized by you. Why are, why are you here? But he came to fulfill all righteousness in our place. And so then Paul could write this in verse 4 of our text. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The people of God in Christ. See if he's fulfilled the law in our place. God looks upon us and sees the law fulfilled. That's why there's no condemnation. That's why there's freedom. That's why there's peace. That's why there's the reconciliation we spoke about this morning. His righteousness is ours. That's why there's that well-pleasing, delighting love that the Father has for His children. A well-pleasing aroma before God. One of the things that really helped me in the last few years in my Christian walk was to see that the Lord loves his people. Now we, we say God loves everybody. No, no, I mean delights in his people. I don't mean that he just sends rain and sunshine upon all people. I'm saying that in and through Jesus Christ, he loves and delights in his people. That is you, he delights in you. Not because of you, because of Jesus. He sees perfect law keeping when he looks at you. And no sin is seen. That is an incredible thing. And friend, if you don't have that here this evening, if you don't know that, it is freely offered to you. All sinners who will come to him by faith and by faith alone will be forgiven and declared just. And this would be true of you that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. But it's not everybody. Paul is very clear and trying to be very careful to not give false confidence to anyone who walk not after the flesh, verse 4, but after the Spirit. And this brings us to our final point, number 4. Furnished in Christ. Furnished in Christ. So we've looked at how we're forgiven in Christ. Free in Christ. And that's a freedom to follow the law of God. But also a freedom from the curse of the law. Fulfilled in Christ. The law has been kept for us. That is a blessing. A gift. And then furnished in Christ. What is our part in all this? That we can come before the throne of heaven. 
Verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. It's not that there's anything wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is holy. But we cannot keep it. This is what it means about the, what the law could not do. We could not keep the law. We must be careful that we keep law and grace distinct from one another. It says in Romans 11 and verse 6. Romans 11 and verse number 6. And if by grace then it is no more works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Grace and works. Imagine oil and water together. You shake them as hard as you want. You try to mix them, but you leave them for a while and they separate. They cannot be mixed. It is either entirely of grace or it is of works. There are many systems that say you can mix the two. It is not possible. The law commands what is good, but the law commands also what we cannot do. The gospel calls us to lay hold upon what is already done. You see, the law commands us to do. The gospel puts emphasis on what has already been done. Furnished. In Christ. The spirit as we saw this morning. Gives life. A gift. God gives. Life. You see we. Have life. In him. This may seem like a strange thing. How do we as dead sinners. Come. Before him. Let us think about an illustration. What if you've been blind your whole life? You've been blind your whole life. You've never seen the sunrise. Somebody may describe it to you how beautiful it is. But until your eyes have been opened, you cannot see. What makes the difference? God. How do we walk after the flesh? God. Or how do we walk after the spirit? God. How do we walk after the flesh? Our own nature. We need to see God. We need to have life. We need to see that it is all of grace. And all of God. It has all been furnished by God. Trust not yourself. Trust not in your works. Because beginning, middle and end of salvation has been given to the believer in Jesus Christ. You see what you see here this evening. You have been blessed this morning because of Christ. Nothing we could ever add to that. Believer, do you see what you have in Jesus Christ? 
We could spend an eternity of eternities looking through the blessings and benefits of the gospel. Of what he has done for us. Marveling at how he, the infinite God, assuming finite flesh, suffering and dying and rising again from the dead. The one who was in his mother's womb, yet at the same time filled heaven and earth in his divine nature. He is the one who rescues. He is the one we met with at the table of the Lord this morning. He is the reason we give thanks this evening. He is the reason we will spend an eternity of eternities praying Praising him, glorifying him. And there's even a sense in which eternity isn't even enough time to study all the wonders of God. The more you see of Christ, dear friend. The more, dear believer in Christ, you study of him and learn of him. I would encourage the believers in Christ, study of him. Study his goodness. Study his kindness. Because the more you see his goodness... The more you will long for heaven. The more you will see reasons for thanksgiving. The more you'll see reasons for delight. Don't we struggle with that? As soon as we take our eyes off Christ as believers. We can begin to complain. We can begin to sink beneath the waters of trial and affliction. But when we look to him and remind ourselves what he has done On our behalf, why would we sorrow? We will sorrow over our own sin. But we will also rejoice. Rejoice over what he has done for us. All for the glory of God. For of him. And through him. And to him. Be all the glory. Both now and forevermore. Amen.